What's up, y'all? Welcome back into the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Tanner Dimling here with y'all. As always, continuing our conference-by-conference preview series here today, looking at the Atlantic 10 Conference after many years of people saying next league that needs to add it. Makes sense. They now have the teams with St. Bonaventure and Richmond adding the past decade or so. UMass having it all ready. The Atlantic 10 is in the men's lacrosse landscape. Hobart High Point coming in as affiliate members. High Point coming in from the SOCON with Richmond. Hobart coming in from the NEC along with St. Joseph's, St. Bonaventure, another full member there of the A-10, as we mentioned, that uh, is moving over, uh, was formerly in the MAC. They're heading into their fifth season as a Division I men's lacrosse program. And th- this conference is going to be exciting. This conference is going to be very, very interesting, very well could be the best conference uh, at the mid-major level in college across this season. When you look at the talent uh, on these teams and when you look at what these teams have done throughout their histories, albeit a short one for some of them, UMass, a, a very lengthy history, as well as Hobart, this is a league that has a ton of programs that I think could very well uh, make the tournament. And this is a league that uh, really, I think we're going to see, you know, this year, especially, I think I'm looking at it more of a St. Joseph's Richmond league to lose, but UMass, Hobart, High Point, especially, um, I wouldn't count them out either. And St. Bonnie's, we've seen them grow a lot through their first four seasons, but do have some big pieces that need, uh, big holes that need to be addressed. So this is a league that I think overall, uh, this year is going to be uber competitive and could be the most competitive mid-major conference in the country. Over time, I think that's still much of the same, but I think it's a league that we're going to see maybe some teams move in and, and move out of that top tier uh, on a yearly basis because, and I don't really think you can say with like you know definity that there is a top tier in this league, um, at least not from a U2U basis. Like that's how competitive I expect this league to be not only this year, but throughout its course as it, as we go forward. So this is going to be an exciting league, an interesting league. And, you know, since it was announced um, a conference, I've been very, very excited uh, to, to, to get my eyes on and see how this thing works out here in 2020. Before we go any further, however, uh, must uh, do the obligatory, uh, you know, input here, subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch the show on YouTube as well. That is where you can get the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Again, we are continuing our conference-by-conference preview series. We've done the ACC, we've done the America East, and we've done the 
Atlantic Sun, the A-Sun, uh, just yesterday doing the Atlantic 10. Today, we'll be moving forward with the Big East, the Big Ten, so on and so forth over the next couple of days and weeks as we head towards the 2023 season, which gets underway on February 4th, that Saturday, a very, very uh, you know, short time away. We have scrimmages coming up in the next week or so. We have teams returning to practice here uh, this past week. It's an exciting time. Lacrosse is in the air. Spring is not upon us yet, but it's we're marching towards spring and marching towards what I think is going to be a great 2023 season. So let's get into this Atlantic 10 preview here. And once again, St. Joseph's, Richmond, Hobart, High Point, and St. Bonaventure, as well as UMass, all in this league. Richmond, UMass, St. Joe's, uh, full-time members of the league. Hobart, High Point, coming in as uh, affiliate members. St. Bonnie's also a full-time member of the league there as well. And a league that's been very good in basketball. Um, Rhode Island, Dayton, some other big-time uh, or successful basketball programs in the conference as well. Um, you know, we'll see if any of those programs want to add lacrosse. Um, would fit very well, certainly now with the league having the sport on the men's side. They've had the sport on the women's side for a uh, number of years now. So great to see it getting going on the men's side. And as I said, very excited for what this season holds for the Atlantic 10, possibly a two-bid league. We'll see. Uh, and we'll discuss here more about that in a minute. Now, as has been the case through these conference-by-conference conference previews. Going to start this thing off by going over what my projected final rankings are here in the conference and then doing a team-by-team team, uh, breakdown of this league. So uh, starting here with my projected final rankings, we have St. Joseph's at number one. We have Richmond at number two. We have UMass at number three. High Point at number four. So those would be the four teams that I see getting into the conference tournament as of right now. We have Hobart at number five and St. Bonaventure there at number six. So I have St. Joe's, Richmond, UMass, High Point as the teams are, you know projecting to be the top four. Hobart, St. Bonaventure being those final two teams, uh, six and seven, it's going to be five and six in the league this season. And, and we're going to start off here with St. Uh, Bonaventure. We're going to go backwards, as has been the case the past couple of episodes, moving backwards here. So St. Bonaventure, this is a program that we've seen a ton of growth from through its first four seasons, they uh, were you know, very close to making the NCAA tournament last year, did not win the MAC, which they needed to do so. Uh, and they've been a program that every year has seemed to get better. Now, they do have some pieces this year that um, are, are missing from years past that are going to be 
crucial. And I'm not exactly sure how they're going to fill these out. They, they have pieces to fill these out, but how effective it's going to be is going to be uh, something we're going to have to see. Uh, most notably, goalie Brett Dobson has graduated. He's in the PLL. Um, one of the best goalies in the, in, in the country last year, if not the best, what was a phenomenal, phenomenal asset here for St. Bonaventure through its first four seasons. Now moving on, you have that big gaping hole there in cage, and, and it's going to be very, very tough to replace a player the caliber of Brett Dobson. You also have uh, freshman faceoff man Trent Granger was phenomenal for this team last year. The faceoff dot is an area where Sam Bonaventure had not really been able to find sustained success through its first couple of seasons. They found it last year in freshman Trent Granger. He's in the same conference, but at Richmond now, as he is transferred to the Spiders. So uh, a big piece there that they're also going to have to address. Goalie, faceoff dot, those two areas there when you look at St. Bonaventure. But I, I think, you know, you do have some pieces um, defensively on the back end, and defense has been kind of their strong suit here. So there are some pieces there that I do like for this team. Um, when you look at uh, Zach Belter, David Stelia, these are two uh, poles that have been there, have been very good pieces of that defense. I think it's great to have those guys back, and, and so it gives you a little confidence that this defense can you know, at least – remain pretty sustainable. We'll see what happens in cage and how things build out around them. But you've got two solid guys to build a defense around there. And then offensively, I really like what this team has. You lose Jackson Rose, a grad transfer to Marquette, but you get Jake Rose back, Sean Wesley back, Austin Blumberg's back. And plus Connor Murphy, who was a stellar freshman for them last season, as well. That's a strong, strong offensive core that this body's offense is going to have. And so I'm, you know, usually with St. Bonaventure, I had been higher on their defense, a bit lower on their offense. And that's kind of flipped this year. I'm very excited to see what this offense can do. I think when you look at Rosa and Wesley, um, you know, two key guys coming back there, uh, veteran guys, experienced guys. We'll see how this unit you know, holds up against some of these A-10 teams, but uh, it's going to be an exciting exciting to see how that unit progresses. So St. Bonaventure, like, I have them here at number six, but again, and I'm probably going to say this for every team in the A-10, there was a lot of promise there, like this, a lot of promise there for, for, for this program, for this team in 2023. Now, moving on here to the High Point Panthers. Obviously, the big thing with High Point is, um, well, there's a certain player that's not there. And that's Ashley Nolting. And Ashley Nolting, obviously being the best player in High Point history, uh, ended his career you know, among the record books there not only in High Point um, the program, but in the NCAA as well. A phenomenal player who's been the quarterback, been the face of the franchise there, 
at High Point since he was a freshman and has been a phenomenal, phenomenal player for them. Um, and you lose him. He's your biggest impact player, and you lose him. What life is going to be like without Ashley Nolting is going to be interesting. So, um, you know, we'll see how things go there with High Point this season on the offensive end without Nolting. That's my biggest question for them is how does that offense, how's that offense quarterback there? Um, Brad Maia is back. Jack uh, Van Oboke, believe I pronounced that right, is back as their two offensive leaders. You have to like what they bring, and Maia has been uh, very good, was very strong last season as kind of the off-ball guy, the main goal scorer, 40 goals here. As I'm looking at his stats from last year, a phenomenal playmaker there, uh, off ball. And you look at uh, Vando uh, Verboki is a guy who is more of a balanced playmaker. You could possibly see him playing that quarterback role for high point here in 2023. I know there's a lot of people very high on him coming into the season for what he can bring, what he can be for high point. Um, moving up the field, Colin Hoban at the faceoff dot. Is he going to improve? He was 48% last year. you got to think he improves here this year. And high point, the faceoff dot, they haven't been, like, terrible, but they haven't been, you know, overly successful, right? And going up against uh, guys like Joe Chinoy at, at Richmond, like Zach Cole at St. Joseph's in league play is going to be tough, and it's going to be tough for a lot of these teams uh, against Cole especially. Um, there when they do play the Hawks. So uh, you're going to look at this high point team at, at the faceoff situation, and I want to see how they can improve there after they did, you know, somewhat improve last season. Uh, you have Parker Green back in cage, and that is the you know kind of heart and soul of his defense back there. Been a big fan of his um, for the past couple of years. He's back there in cage. Um, what the rest of that defense around him looks like is going to be interesting, though. P.J. Peters is back, as well as Trey Smith, at the defensive midfield spot. Big fan of both of those guys. Trey Smith um, you know, could possibly be, possibly be one of the best D-mids in the Atlantic 10 this season. Has been a phenomenal playmaker there for the Panthers at the D-mid spot and has really helped them in transition as they've gotten better in that area the past couple of seasons. Um, so what this high point defense looks like, both at the rope unit and at close, is going to be of interest. You got to be confident in what you have in Parker Green. And they've had a number of goalies who've come in and out over the past couple of years. I think they've got a good stockpile there still as well, though, at high point. Um, so the goalie position, I'm not as worried about. Uh, and, and then Peters and Smith, two great players that they return. But how they build around that core is going to be very interesting. High Point is a team that has been pretty consistent uh, there under John Torpy uh, since the program's inception. They've had some great wins. They've gone to the NCAA tournament twice, uh, obviously last time being in 2021. And this is a team that we know, uh, even in years where you don't necessarily expect them to be phenomenal, they can play with anyone, and they do it each and every year. They will go and give Duke a fight. They will give Virginia a fight, and I think they're going to give everyone a fight here 
in 2023 as well. And that includes Hugh and the Atlantic 10 uh, high point, as well as a couple teams we'll talk about here in a second are two teams that are, uh, you know, three teams in particular that I think are in the Atlantic 10. You need to circle, you need to watch out for because they very well have some holes that makes you question them, but we know what the history shows. We know how good, how tough they can be. And you know, High Point is one of those teams that could be right there in the mix in the Atlantic 10 when it's all said and done. John Torpy has built a great program there, sustained success. We'll see how they do in year one in the Atlantic 10. So uh, first off, if you're watching this or listening, I know you heard me say that I had Hobart as number five um, and I was going backwards. I was doing that. I skipped over Hobart. Uh, looking here, Hobart, high point, skipped over Hobart. So we're going back here to the, the, the statesman here who I have finishing at number five in the league. I have high point finishing at number four in the league. And Hobart, they have got an offense back that I'm, 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 I'm questionable you lose Ryan Archer, you lose Dirk Madonna, you lose Tommy Mott. That's a lot to lose. That That's a solid, solid offensive core that you lose. Uh, Dirk Madonna, another player who will stay in his league as a uh, grad transfer, uh, but at a different team, uh, Richmond. So I'll talk about him here in a second, but a big, big, big loss for this uh, Hobart squad in 2023. I'm very interested how that offense grows. And this is a team last year that had a number of injuries, injuries out the wazoo. I think that is probably the biggest thing for Hobart is if they can stay healthy because they were like last year, if they could have stayed healthy throughout the season, they could have given, um, you know, some of these teams that they had some losses last year that frankly they probably shouldn't have had. There were some games last year that were a bit closer that probably shouldn't have been that close. Um, and so Hobart, if they can stay healthy, and especially so on the offensive end, um, as well as defense, and we'll get to that in a second, where they need to kind of grow out and need to, um, will have to put in some new faces, that's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Anthony Detellis, uh, attackman who's returning the, the, the top scorer, as well as John Hurley, the midfielder, big fan of what those two guys can bring. I think that's a solid unit that you can build around Bradley Seamus, another guy there as well for uh, Hobart that returns on the offensive end. Troy Bartholomew, uh, the, uh, what was he, six foot seven, something like that. Uh, really big, big attackman. Had, has shown a lot of flashes, had some injuries last year uh, that prohibited him from really playing a ton. I think he played two, three games last year. If that, um, a guy amongst plenty of others that I'm looking forward to seeing if he steps up and can be a bigger piece of this offense here in 2023. Uh, defensively for Hobart, though, I'm pretty um, – defense in the faceoff dot, I'm pretty confident in what they have. So Adam Shea back at the faceoff dot, we know what he did when they played Lehigh last year. He took it to Mikey Sisselberger uh, as good as anyone else has and. Hobart has had a sustained success there with multiple guys at the faceoff. Adam Shea, just another player in that line here for the Statesman. Um, 
defensively. Michael Christensen is back. Marcus Trujillo is back as well. Two big pieces there of that defense. And when you look at what they have um, at pull, we mentioned those two guys there, uh, Christensen and Trujillo, two of the biggest players there. But no one first. Maxwell Horton, also uh, in, in fifth year, Mark Sinat, all of whom saw starting action last season. I mentioned a lot of injuries to that defense last year. Christensen, a guy who was out uh, for some time as well, came back in the postseason and was absolutely phenomenal for Hobart. They're the best defenseman who returns there, uh, Michael Christensen. So you look at these guys, at the number of polls that they played last year, and I think you have to be confident that even if there are injuries, even if you have to mix some things up from time to time, they did it last year. And we're still pretty decent. Like, Hobart's defense has not been its strong suit in recent years. That has been their offense. Their defense, I think, this year, I'm more confident than I ever have been with them. And then also, to back that up, there you have Kevin Holtby in cage, who had 49.5% save percentage last season, 136 saves. Confident that he can get the job done there at the uh, in between the pipes there at the goalie position. So Hobart defensively, I'm pretty confident in what they have, and I think it's going to be a pretty good defense that we're going to see some depth from, and that they do have the depth there to do what they want to do. The rope unit a little iffy. Uh, we saw them not be as strong there at times last year, um, and suddenly injuries did play a part. Of that, you've had some guys running both ways at times. So we'll see how this Hobart team does. I think it's going to be a pretty solid team. I know some would say it's going to be rebuilding you there um, in Geneva. Possibly could be. We'll see how things go. And, and that's especially true. The rebuilding part on offense, that's especially true. Uh, so we'll see how things go here in 2023. But as I said with High Point, and as I'll, again, I'll say with all of these teams, the Atlantic 10 is going to be crazy. The Atlantic 10 is going to be highly competitive each and every game. Anything can happen, and we know what these teams can do and have done in the past. So moving on to the top three here in the Atlantic 10 in terms of my projected final rankings, and I have UMass at number three. So UMass is a team that last year, I have this written down on my notes here, they beat Brown, they beat Vermont, they beat Delaware, they had an OT loss to Yale. That was all last season. This is a good team. This is a good team. They had a lot of injuries uh, that wouldn't necessarily derailed their season, but had some injuries that made them have to play guys that, some younger guys that maybe weren't ready, uh, had to adjust different lineups. Like, there were, that impacted them very much so. Um, but this is still a pretty solid team for, for what it's worth. And I know um, what did they, they didn't make the postseason, did they? I can't remember if they did or not. But they, this was a team that maybe the past couple of years hasn't necessarily lived up to maybe what the expectations have been there. Um, and so, I, you know, they they were pretty solid last year when they were healthy, and even when they had some guys out, they found ways to win. 
and they were a pretty dang good uh, team last year. And I think they're going to be a pretty good team this year as well. They are my, like, I mentioned this before, like, all these teams, um, basically three through six, like, I, I think that could finish any which way you pull it. Um, but UMass in particular is my team to watch you in the A-10 in 2023. Caleb Hammett back at the face-off dot. Matt Note back in cage. You have two very, very solid playmakers there at those positions that can prove to be linchpins of this team and give them and help them have a lot of success, possibly take some strain off of some of these areas where you may not be as strong. Um, you have Gabriel Prosek is back as well as Mike Tobin to lead this offense. You have Kevin Tobin gone, Logan Leisureberg gone. With the amount of guys they had to play last year, you look at Mike Tobin, Gabriel Prosek, two very strong offensive playmakers that you can build this offense around. And they have a number of guys who have had a, a good amount of experience last season, either starting one or two or three games or getting in that rotation. So this is an offense that probably needs to get better and could get better. On top of some of these returners here, and I'll mention this, defensively, UMass, um, I was not, and going back and watching some of their games over the summer, was not as impressed defensively with the close unit um, and with their rope unit as I had been in the past. I think a lot of these transfers they got, Ryan Sharkey from Canisius, Chris Campbell from LIU, those two guys on defense, I think are going to provide a big boost to a unit that needs it there on that back end. I think we could see this UMass defense return to what it was or a semblance of what it was there in the 2019 2020, uh, 2018, that time frame when uh, we did see UMass really take off and really have some of those great teams playing that gorilla ball style that they play and have been so successful at. You also have transfers on the offensive end as well as you get Connor Foley in from UMass Lowell at the attack spot and Will Abbott, the midfielder, Quinnipiac. I really like these two transfers. Uh, both guys have been very successful at UMass Lowell and, and at Quinnipiac at, at the former stops. And I think coming over to UMass and can be much like what a Logan Leisureberg was last year for the Minutemen and implementing some veteran leadership, implementing some veteran talent into a unit that is going to have some young pieces to it and can really be the glue uh, for this unit and, and provide that leadership needed to make this offense as successful as it can be. So I really like what UMass did in the transfer portal. I think they were one of the more underrated teams in the portal this season for what they were able to do. I think they addressed their needs very well. And I've said that on here multiple times um, this offseason when talking about the portal, but I really do think these guys they got Plus the players they return, especially some of these younger guys. Um, and I mean, you Caleb Hammett, he's a very young guy as well who stepped up last year at the face-off dot. Um, and 
provided that spark that they needed there. So um, very solid UMass team, as always. I think some of these spots that we maybe have some questions about, we're going to have some guys step up that whose names you might not know now, uh, but you're going to know them soon enough. And this is going to be a team overall that's pretty solid and I think can very well challenge more than any other maybe um, next to High Point. Uh, UMass and High Point probably mostly could challenge for a A-10 title that maybe not a lot of people have their eyes set on. And I think UMass of that group is the uh, is the best of them. Now, moving up here to some of these other uh, teams in the league, and by other, I mean the top two teams in this league. And we're going to start off here with the Richmond Spiders. Richmond has been the most consistent mid-major in college lacrosse over the past couple of seasons. They won the SoCon title last year. They won it in 2019. They won it in 2018. Um, this has been an incredibly successful program uh, there under Deshamati, and the growth they've shown since its inception has been phenomenal. The biggest aspect of this team, of this program, has been defense. Defense, defense, defense. They've had solid defenses year over year. They're going to have to replace some pieces on defense once again here in 2023. And I think they can do that uh, pretty well. Offensively, they have to replace some pieces as well. Also, I think they can do that uh, just as good as they have in the past. Um, let's get to some of those losses there, shall we? So, no Ryan Lanchbury, no Ryan Dunn. Two guys that were staples of this offense over the past couple of seasons. They're gone. They've exhausted their eligibility. Luke Frankeny, the Mount St. Mary's transfer who came in last year and was uh, as good as we thought he was going to be with Richmond. It provided a massive spark for that offense and really um, you know, gave them what they needed at the midfield spot. He's obviously gone was a grad transfer last year. Griffin Collegey the stud freshman uh, and brother of former Virginia defenseman Kyle Collegey is gone. He is transferred to Virginia, who Richmond beat last season. Obviously a phenomenal win for them, the first team since, what was it, 1967 or 69, uh, Washington Lee beat Virginia. But since then, no Virginia team had beaten, uh, no team from the state of Virginia had beaten Virginia. Now, granted, um, there's only one other D1 team in the state of Virginia until Richmond comes, and that's VMI. So do with that statistic what you will. Um, notable win for Richmond, nonetheless. Phenomenal win to beat the defending champs and, uh, you know, really showed how strong a team they were in that game, what that defense was able to do to Virginia. Richmond also loses Ray Barron off of that defense as well. So uh, Griffin College gone, Ray Barron gone on defense, Luke Frankeny, uh, Ryan Dunn, and Ryan Lanchbury all gone off that offense. However, as I've mentioned before, first and foremost, Richmond has replaced talent, especially on defense, better than most programs have at the mid-major level. They've done it throughout its history. Richmond has been a top 10, top 15 top 20 defense each and every year, except for, I think, I think they've been top 15, except for, except for like one or two years there. So 
this has been a, 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 a record of consistency on that end for sure. Offensively, they've been very strong as well, and they've replaced guys over the years just as well as they have defensively. Uh, but defense is where this program's bread has been buttered for the most part when you look at the strength of the two units statistically. Dalton Young is back on offense to lead this team at the attack spot. Lance Madonna is also back on offense as well at the midfield spot. Those are the two returners that you're going to look to to provide that leadership. You also get Derek Madonna, yes, the brother of Lance Madonna and the former Hobart standout, coming to Richmond. Huge, huge piece for them to add as a shooter from the midfield uh, for this Spiders program is going to provide that veteran leadership, that veteran talent needed there to help replenish, rebuild this offense that does lose veteran pieces in Lynchbury, uh, Dunn, and Frankney. I think Derek Madonna could very well replace and be what Luke Frankney was for this team last season. Jared Chenoy is back at the faceoff dot, and you also add Trent Granger, as I mentioned earlier in the show, had a phenomenal freshman season there for St. Bonaventure, really provided the spark that the Bonnies had needed and hadn't had at the faceoff dot since the program's inception. Um, and, and St. Bonaventure had their best year at the faceoff dot in its four-year history last season. Trent Granger, a, a uh, you know, massive part of that as he was the starter for most of the year. So Richmond, very good team again, very consistent. Expect them to continue on that on that path forward. St. Joseph's, this is the team to beat in the A-10. Many, many people have been saying St. Joseph's will win an NCAA championship this year. Excuse me, an NCAA tournament game this year. Not, not championship. Let me rephrase that. St. Joseph's will win an NCAA tournament game in 2023. That's what people have been saying. People have been saying that since they almost beat Yale. You have Zach Colback at the faceoff dot, the best faceoff man in college across Levi Anderson, Matt Bomer, Carter Page, all back to form what I believe is probably the most underrated. Um, and I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but when you look at statistically what they did last year, one of the more underrated uh, attack lines in college across, one of the more productive attack lines in college across, they're all back. Tucker Brown is back to lead that midfield unit. You get Stephen Dwyer, a uh, phenomenal offensive transfer in from Wagner, can play both the attack and midfield spot. Aiden Clark coming in from Wagner as well. I uh, believe he's a sophomore or junior, uh, and Dwyer is a grad transfer uh, for certain, but uh, Clark, a sophomore or junior, I believe there uh, at St. Joseph's transferring in from Wagner. So the two top scorers from Wagner last year are now at St. Joseph's, and I believe uh, they're both going to, and Dwyer especially, is going to have a massive impact. We uh, have seen some clips, have seen how things have looked with them in, in the fall there, um, and, and Dwyer especially in that offense, and this offense is one that I think is going to be phenomenal once again. It's, it, it's deadly when you look at these guys they have, you've got the balancedness of a guy like 
uh, Levi Anderson there to kind of run things. You've got a Carter Page, who's an elite goal scorer, off-ball guy. Matt Bomer, um, uh, uh, another guy there as well that can do a lot of things well. And then Tucker Brown, the you know top midfielder who's a threat from up top. Like They're going to have a lot of pieces, and, and there's some guys that I have not mentioned here as well that also had strong seasons last year. And you can go down the list with this St. Joseph's offense. They've got talent on talent on talent, and especially so at the top end. It's going to be tough to defend them. It's going to be tough to hold them down uh, because shut off one guy, you've got, you know, five other guys that can hit you just as hard, if not harder there. Um, This is a a stacked offense, the most stacked offense in the league, one of the best in the mid-major level in college lacrosse. Defensively is where I kind of draw some pause here. I was not a big, big fan of, of the rope unit, the demons last year. Um, they do have some great poles that were rotating in and out at the LSM spot, and I think they're going to be strong there. Again, we saw a pole, um, you know, t- take some face-offs. I cannot remember who it was. Uh, apologize on that. In the Yale game, uh, we saw some interesting things that they did with a lot of those polls. So, I, you know, I, I don't doubt they're going to have good polls. I don't doubt they're going to have good players to fill those holes. It's just what those ho- like, what that ultimately looks like, we don't know yet. Uh, Patrick Clemens back headlines the uh, defensive returners there at close. Robbie Seeley back in the cage as well. And uh, this is a program that has, I think, a plethora of goalies uh, in their wheelhouse that they can use. There's a D3 transfer whose name is escaping me, and I did not write it down. Apologize for that. Um, who uh, I've heard could be a, a big impact guy for them as well. But they've got a lot of goalies in that wheelhouse that they've used over the past couple of seasons that, uh, you know, think this year we could see another, uh, you know, solid uh, goalie, uh, not just singular, but goalie, you know, unit there at St. Joseph's. So St. Joseph's far and away the best team in the Atlantic 10. Now, I mentioned at the beginning, could this league get two bids? And I said, I don't know. And that's true, I don't know. I don't have a time machine. I can't go forward and say, oh, the A-10 got two teams in the tournament. I don't know that. I've been asked that question a lot over the past couple few months, and especially the past four weeks. As we march forward towards the season, is the A-10 going to get two teams in? I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I think what would have to happen, though, is the Big Ten, the Ivy, and the ACC, you would have to not have down years. Well, certainly, first and foremost, the Ivy League cannot get 16 teams. That's fine. The ACC knows that. The Big Ten knows that. Like, But I, I think... If the ACC maybe gets a team left out, if the Big Ten gets a team, you know, that, that's on the bubble, um, you know, I think you could get pot, like a St. Joseph's and a Richmond there in the tournament. We'll see how things go. And look, we know what the Patriot League and what the Big East have been in past years um, in terms of, you know, bubble boasters where you've had, uh, you know, Marquette win the uh, Big East. And so, Marquette and Denver get it 
Like you could have a situation like that as well. Um, and for me, at least, that would probably be an even uh, more realistic situation where you have, let's say, uh, UMass wins the A-10, but St. Joseph's was, you know, undefeated or had one loss, you know, coming into the tournament um, or, or Richmond or whoever it is. Like you could have that situation happen. I think that's probably the most obvious situation that you would have for the A-10 to get two teams. And I think if you have St. Joseph's Richmond who are beating up on, e on each other and let's say St. Joe's beats Richmond in the, assuming they advance to the title game, let's say St. Joe's beat Richmond in the uh, regular season and they have, um, you know, uh, two or three losses, you know, non-conference, right? And I don't have their schedule pulled up right now. I don't have anyone's schedule pulled up right now. So, well, let's just say I have two or three losses, right? Richmond, um, you know, let's say they have two or three losses as well, maybe four losses, including that St. Joe's game, and they beat St. Joe's. I don't think in that case you would see both teams get in. I think they both would have to have insane wins in the non-conference. I know Richmond has Virginia again on the schedule this year, like always. Like if they beat Virginia and they run the rest of the way, and let's say they lose in the title game, like uh, what happened to High Point back in 2019. You could possibly have that if they don't have a uh, shoot-in-the-foot kind of loss there. So th there are some scenarios where you could get uh, two teams in from the A-10. Uh, we're going to have to see how things play out. And again, it's going to hinder on what some of these other conferences do, what some of these other conferences um, have in terms of their teams when loss records, the strength of schedule, and all of that is going to have to be taken into account. But a most likely scenario, again, I think is an upset uh, most likely in the title game where the team that was you know, supposed to win the top seed or the team you know, uh, favorite in that game has maybe one or two losses and has some really, really good non-conference wins. So we'll see how things shake out. It's going to be an interesting season here in the Atlantic 10. I am certainly excited to see how this league um, how this league progresses and how it turns out here in 2023. Going to be an exciting one for sure. Again, thank you all for tuning in today's show. As always, you can connect with us on social media at LacrosseBucket on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. LacrosseBucket.com where it's always lacrosse season.